And welcome back to another episode of the Good Buddy Sports Bar. This week you got Skinny B and AP. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, dude? Not much. Just trying to stay out of the way of the wildfires, the smoke, everything else that's popping up here in the interior. How about you? Uh, yeah, it's wild, man. I feel for everybody that you know their homes were affected or everything. They could have lost everything. It's been a wild week in the interior. I left yesterday. I drove out to Kananaskis to get away from the smoke. I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, which is understandable. Just to give all of our listeners an update on what's going on here in the interior of BC. I'm sure everybody's seen on social media the fires that are affecting West Kelowna. Um, Al lives in just over the border there, not to give away too much information. And uh, I'm about a 50 minute drive from that. So there's been a blanket of smoke. Air quality has been very poor over the last week. And um, they seem to be at least keeping the fires in West Kelowna with where they are, although it's 11,000 hectares that are being affected right now. Um, And it jump the lake across to lake country area so um, a lot of fires going on in bc so shout out to all the uh, forest fire crews everybody who's helping keep things at bay Uh, really appreciate the work that they're doing to keep us safe so anything else you got no man i just i echo that sentiment sentiment i should say it's it's a crazy situation to be in and they're doing everything they can. I think that a little bit of rain you guys got last night and the cooler temperatures has made what it seems like an impossible job a little bit easier, but in no way what is what they're doing easy whatsoever. So thank you to them because that's incredible. Yeah. And with that, we haven't been able to play too much golf over the last week and a half. I think the last time I got out was our last round at the harvest. And I think you got one round in last week, which, um, yeah, that's about all we've been able to get in. Yeah. I got one in at, uh, Fairview mountain down in Oliver on Thursday. Um, and there was a big fire happening near there as well. I mean, when I got back to the car after the round, there was ash on it. So, you know, and then I got back to Kelowna and that night's when it all kicked off. So it, it, it's been, uh, like I said, a crazy few days. And I can only imagine what people who are directly affected by it are going through. So, yeah. So, yeah, just wanted to give an update on that. Let's hop into some golf talk. There's been a lot that's been going on last week on a couple of different tours. I wanted to start off with a question just to lighten things up a little bit here. I've been seeing the foreplay guys tossing around the um, mindset that if you get a hole in one on a par three course, it doesn't count as a real hole in one. It's kind of stuck in my craw where I believe if you get a hole in one off of a T block and it's not a drop because you put it in the water, put it into the schmeg, it is a hole in one. Like any time that you put the ball in the hole from a tee, I don't care if it's on a par three course and it's under a hundred yards, if it's over 200 yards, I don't care what it's on. Hole in one is a hole in one. You're buying the boys of drinks. The excitement's there. You've accomplished something. And I want to get started with your thoughts on that. I'm torn. I, I tend to agree with you and um, believe that whatever course it's on, but then part of me is like, if you're playing a little 
chip and putt cow pasture and it's an 80 yarder and you hit it in. I don't know if that's the same level of a hole in one as if, if it's a 220 par three um, somewhere else. I'm not sure. The one thing I that sticks in my craw is the fact that if you're the one who gets the hole in one, you have to buy everybody drinks. I think it should be the other way. <laughs> I would agree. I So I'll tell my story. I got my hole in one um, at, I think it was Bear Creek, it was called in Strathroy. And I got lucky. So it was 150 yards, um, worked it from right to left, hit about hole high, went up, spun back in the hole. And our good buddy, Matt Curtis, was there um, to witness it. I got so lucky that day because nobody was out at the course. I think there was two people out there. So didn't really hit the pocketbook that hard. And then we went to the bar, went over to the barnyard afterwards and got showered with drinks the whole evening. So I got super lucky, but I think to your point, it should be the other way around. You're the one with the accomplishment. So everybody should be buying you drinks. I will agree with that. Exactly. So I guess if we have to change anything, it'll be that. The, the only reason why I think, and I'll, I'll say this, is yes, there's probably tiers of what a hole-in-one is. Like I just referenced Matt, he's gotten hole-in-ones on par threes as well as a par four. So the par four, far bigger accomplishment than a par three. But when we look at even the U.S. Open, they had a sub-100-yard par three. So are you going to take that away from yeah. those guys too? Like They were knocking it in. I think they had uh, probably about four or five at the U.S. Open. So does that not count because it's under 100 yards? And that's my mindset when I think about, oh, you want to take it away from a guy on a par three course? No, I think you're right. I mean, that's why I'm torn with it. I, I mean, you're <laughs> – the other part of me wants to be like, unless it's a real golf course, it doesn't count. And if you bone one in the water and then you hole out for three from the tee block again on a real course, that should count more than one at Jim's pitch and putt. And No, because – no, no. Screw off on that because <laughs> – that's that's a hole in three. Good for you. You can put that up on the mantle, feel good about it all you want, but it's not a true hole in one. I will not take that. I mean, realistically, though, if I was playing any golf and I got a hole in one, I wouldn't care what course it was on. I'd be telling everybody, I'd be counting it. So I guess that's where I stand. Absolutely. Okay, good. I just wanted to double check. But I still don't think that you should have to buy people drinks. Yeah. I think we should change that. We'll. The next time one of us gets one, we'll, we'll do that. Yes, the other one will buy them drinks. We're starting something new at the Good Buddy Sports Bar here. All right, let's change gears. We'll. Uh, I want to get a, a few takes because DP World Tour last weekend, you had Daniel Brown winning by five strokes. Um, wanted to bring up. Alex Fitzpatrick, who's had a great run, um, kind of mirroring his brother recently. He gets the T-17 at the Open, followed by a second-place finish. Um, and he also had a win on the Challenge Tour um, shortly after that Open Championship. So really flying high right now. Um, don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Put him on the Ryder Cup team. <laughs> I've been seeing stats where it's like the 20-year-olds dominate the Ryder Cup, so it, 
it could be a good thing. And with one of those captain's picks, maybe an Aberg and a Alex Fitzpatrick match him up with his brother. Well, you either get that or you get uh, like Hoygaard. You put Aberg and yeah. Hoygaard on and see what those two could do. Yeah, and I think it's a no-brainer to take Aberg on the team because uh, I, I wanted to write a post about this, and I've been thinking a lot about it, where you see the upwards trajectory of guys who have played on a Ryder Cup at a young age just start to take off, like Scotty, I think about uh, right off the the hop, Rory, Rom. I know those guys were kind of set up to be the next stars, but like you really see guys take off and elevate their game. And then I think on the flip side, I think of a Mark Kelkovecchia who had that cold cock shank um, in the 91 Ryder Cup and his career was never the same after that moment. So the Ryder Cup could really be a make or break moment um, for guys early on in their careers. Yeah. And you got, I just, you know, the, the Ryder Cup side of things, like you got, let's assume Rory, Rom, Vic, Hatton, Fleetwood, I mean, Robert McIntyre, I'm sure is pretty much a lock. But then I look at the rest of the, of it, like you got Matt Fitzpatrick has got to be on it. Um, and then who? Like Shane Lowry, Straka. Probably Straka, he's been playing well, but like Rosie, does Rosie get a, a captain's pick? A hundred percent. He's been he's been playing so well recently you can't take him off. And like he's one of those vets that you need on that team. And looking at the stats, a lot of the European guys that are over thirty have a decent record. Like they have a winning percentage of forty seven percent. So um a lot better than the Americans that I believe it was like forty one or forty two. I think they need some of that stability because they do have quite a few young guys that they're going to take. And on European soil, they tend to ball out a little bit more than on the American soil. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, do you, so you've got, you know, Rosie Lowry, or do you take a bunch of young guns? Do you take the Aberg, the Hoygaard? I'm not sure Matt Fitzpatrick's brother is, there yet um but i would love to see the two of them paired up and watch how that works but yeah i don't know hitting ridiculous bunker shots off your knees in order to get into the open championship exactly he had a great moment yeah i think when you look at the future for alex fitzpatrick he really is trending on that road to stardom into a Ryder cup pick in the future which is kind of cool to see and i think next Ryder Cup, you may be seeing the brothers Fitzpatrick teaming up to kick some American ass. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up and kind of sidetracked us with the Ryder Cup talk was another incident that happened at the DP World Tour stop this week. So Mike Lorenzo Vera played around, and this is you're gonna love this, in five hours and forty minutes. <sighs> because of how slow the pace of play was in front of them. He ends up walking off and not completing his round because he had enough of it. At what point do they have to start creating more flexibility in either some of the rules or the way in which they speed up play? Like I know they have to start enforcing the uh, penalty strokes. They got to start stroking, guys. Yeah, and I was also thinking like, the provisional balls, you got to start hitting those um, in order to speed up play. When you hit it wayward, you don't know 
where it went if they don't have as many markers as they do in the US, stuff like that. Like you got to start using some of these rules and creating some flexibility um, in order to speed up play also, because I don't think that guys are using that. They're taking their full five minutes. If they aren't finding it, then they're walking back sort of thing. Yeah, I think you almost need to treat it like you're playing at a public course and the Rangers forcing you to skip a hole. And if you're forced to skip a hole, you have to take a triple bogey on it. <laughs> like pace of play. And you have to shotgun a beer. Yeah, pace of play should be ideally under four hours, but it's not going to be. But let's just say they set pace of play at four and a half. If you're under pace, you like get one warning. And if you don't speed up, you immediately incur penalty strokes immediately no questions asked yeah fuck off speed up it's like you, you know i'm gonna love this i mean it's my biggest pet peeve in all of golf is slow play like it just like we i know when i play golf or when i was taught to play golf and all of that it's like you need to be quick like you don't you don't want to hold the guys up behind you you need to keep up to the group in front of you and yeah, I know there's more on the line, but that should be an everyday requirement for everyone. And if they're not going to enforce it, like I would have walked off too. I mean, it would have drove me up the wall. I'm going to make a bold statement here and say that I think part of the issue is college golf and the coach is not putting enough emphasis on how to plan your hole ahead of time in the sense of, you walk up to a hole and then that's when they start talking about it when it is your turn to tee off. If you're the second, third, fourth guy about to tee off in that group, you should already have your homework done and you should be walking up right away, placing the ball down and hitting within, I would say, 30 seconds of the last guy hitting. Of course, the first guy, yeah, he's going to take a little bit longer because you're getting up there from the last green. But I find too often and watching the USAM, it stuck out to me yet again where the guys are getting up to their ball, the other guy's hitting, they're waiting to make their decision until after they hit and they aren't even in the planning process yet. So I think it's really the college coaches should be helping these guys on pace of play, pushing them along in order to make quicker decisions. It's like anything else. Eventually you got to shoot the shot and live with the consequences. You can only put so much planning in and um, it's not going to change the result one way or another. You still got to hit the shot, whatever it happens to be. So like pace of play is just ridiculous when it comes to college golf, and it's got to improve at that level so that by the time they get to the pros, they already have that instilled in them. Yeah, I mean, you watch Matt Fitzpatrick play. Like when he's on the green, he's already going through his routine, even if he's like not away. Like if he's not the one hitting, he's already going through his pre-shot. And that allows him to just step up and do it when it's his turn. I think there's, Mm -hmm. you know, and you bring up the USAM. I mean, they play the same course how many days in a row, right? Like you should know. They played a total of eight rounds if you went to the finals. Yeah, exactly. So you should know, at least within reason, on most holes, when you're walking up to the tee, what stick you're pulling, right? Like you shouldn't have to get to this tee on this par five where you've hit driver seven straight days and debate whether you're going to hit driver three wood or your six iron. Like I get a little bit when you're, you know, getting up to a par three, the wind's different, the pin's in a different spot, you know, the tee blocks are a different spot. Yeah, it takes a moment. 
but all four people in a group or all two people in a group and their caddies could be going through the same process at the same time. Like you don't, I'm not sure if there's some written unwritten rule that like, if you're, if you don't have the honors, you have to wait to do all your calcs and, you know, get your yardages and, and all of that. Or if you're allowed to do it while the guy in front of you is doing it, like, why can't you both be doing it at the same time? Yeah, I think the whole process just needs to speed up. And I think you are a coach, you're a teacher, you're a mentor at the college level. And I think that's personally where it's missing. And that's creating a trickle-down effect um, into the pros. One last uh, point um, I wanted to bring up from the other tours this past week. Um, On the Asian tour, Ian Poulter was playing in it. A couple of other um, live guys were also playing in it. But the kid... Luke Poulter, who's uh, at Florida, he is a Florida Gator, I guess I should say, ends up making the cut, 19 years old, pretty cool to see, ends up beating his dad in one of the weekend rounds straight up. So just overall, a cool experience for father and son to have out on a pro tour. That's pretty sweet. And I watched, I think Poulter gets a bit of a bad rap. I watched his uh, video at the round he played with Rick Shields, and he seems like he'd be the best dude on the golf course. Yeah, he's fiery. Yeah, if you want to go out and play a fun round, he's definitely a fun dude. Yeah, and he was like, they were playing a match, but they were he was like helping them. He was like, you know, telling them where to put it and all that. It just seemed like a great, a great round. But no, that's super cool to see the kid go in and, and beat his dad in the same tournament. Yeah, I'm one of those um, next generations that's coming up. I think Westwood's kid is trying to make a go of it too, so... Be interesting to see what some of these guys do as that second generation. We see it in the NBA with Curry, um, LeBron's kids trying to make a go of it. So yeah. it'll be kind of cool to see that next generation coming up. All right, let's hop over to the USAM because I think we both spent a bit of time watching it over the weekend. Um, shout out to Nick Dunlop, University of Alabama guy, winning four and three over Shipley. Um wasn't really in doubt, unfortunately, on the Sunday there. For the second 18, Dunlop took control after the first second holes, never looked back. Um, he seems to have a very well-rounded game, almost ready to make his uh, appearance on the tour. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he can be like at that next level. Um, I'll pause. I'll let you give any of your takeaways from the weekend. Yeah, it, it- the guys, you always kind of see, you know, there's the thoroughbreds, right? And, you know, I would, I would say that Dunlop is a thoroughbred. And it's always fun watching these AM tournaments when they play match play. And then you get a guy like Shipley that is, you know, I think it went George Mason for a while and then transferred to Ohio State. Not, like, high-ranked in the official world amateur ranking mostly because of the tournaments he was playing in before, but then he gets hot and it's like two, it's like watching Tiger and John Daly kind of play. Like you have the one guy who's, you know, methodical, you know, calculated, precise. And then you have the other guy who is all of those things, but like a little bit rougher around the edges and you watch them go at it and you you think anything can happen. And, you know, you watch the semifinals where Shipley comes back and then he hits that absolute perfect shot to shut it down. 
I, I, I don't know. It was a lot of fun to watch. I love match play, so I was all for watching it. Yeah, and I enjoy watching because we both live university sports. Um, we've seen the highs and the lows and the decision-making that happens with those guys live. And it, it's just interesting to see those guys playing an individual sport, trying to make decisions in the moment when they may be in, in a blender situation. I'll go back to a quarterfinal matchup um, between, I believe it was Parker Bell and Ben James. And Bell ends up pulling it out, but there was a couple of things that I looked at on 18 that I couldn't wrap my head around. And I saw this happen more than once throughout the week where on 18, um, Parker Bell could have closed it out if Ben James misses the putt and he misses. So Parker Bell misses from about three and a half, four feet. James has the same putt as him, but I'd say not more than six inches closer. I know he got to see the read, um, but he didn't make him putt it. He let him pick it up. And if Ben James misses, he has a seven on that hole and ends up going home again. Parker Bell ends up pulling it out on the 19th hole. So not a big storyline, but I saw it happen again in the semifinals in that Shipley-Butler match where Butler gave a putt to Shipley that allowed him to um, grab the momentum. And it was on a par three. Um, Butler hits it into the water. And instead of taking the drop and then trying to hit and hole it out, he just gives Shipley the putt so just some of these little decision making things I found really interesting and again you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids and you never know what you're going to get yeah I think you need to you need to put the pressure on even though the putt shouldn't be a pressure packed putt like make them putt it like if it's a tap in absolutely make the guy take it from you and win yeah exactly but overall, it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, coverage has to be better from the USGA, um, PGA Tour 2, I'll mm-hmm. say. But we didn't get nearly enough coverage for how big this event was. You already got the commentators there. You got the camera crews there. Why not stream it, do something? Even if it's got no commentators because the overhead's too expensive there, just have something going because there's too much good golf. Um Dunlap and Sargent. So the number one player in the world's playing a top 10 player. Um, probably the biggest match of the whole tournament from that perspective for star power. And we didn't get to see almost any of right. it except for highlights when they came onto the air the first day. So yeah, that was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I agree. I think it, you know, there's a lot of, whether it's ESPN plus or one of those where some subscription service where you can at least watch it. I think would be beneficial in mean, trying mm-hmm. to grow the game. They want to grow it and get more attention on things. This is one way to do it. And you have no access to the product. Right. It's, it's crazy. We're also sickos and we want to watch like first round matchups of the match play. But I, I think we're also Jones and for more match play in our pro golf. So this is one way to get that. Yeah. And you know, these guys are amateurs, but they're, they're nasty golfers. So why wouldn't, We'd be wanting to watch them go at it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On to the BMW Championship. Cut the field down to the top 30 in the FedEx Cup points. We talked last week how we thought the FedEx Cup 
could be improved by making it a true playoff style where if you don't make it in to the top 70 the first week, the top 50 the second week, top 30 the third week, in that event, you're chopped um, to put a little bit more emphasis on those events um, as opposed to the full year standing. So we already went over that. We talked about maybe making a 64-man match play event, which would be really cool, um, having them play down until that last day. Um, that would be cool too. But overall, to give an overview of the weekend, Rory had that ridiculous up and down on Thursday for birdie out of the trees, like just a, a next level up and down. Give me your thoughts on that. I didn't see it. <laughs> you didn't I don't know see, how okay. Didn't so see it, Rory pulls it. Left. <laughs> if you ask, so he pulls it left off the tee. He's in- I'm sure I saw it and I didn't realize what it was, but like, okay. You know, you know, a next level up and down. I mean, it's Rory McIlroy. That's what you expect. Yeah, so he he pulls it left off the tee, similar to like the JT situation, but he had an opening to get it to the green. He was in some real thick stuff on the left, um, had an opening between two trees, hits a low stinger, ends up running through the back of the green, um, short-sided himself on the back, again in some thick rough behind the green, and flops it on, ends up getting in for birdie. Um and saving the round oh, I did on see Friday that, shoots actually. eight under on the day. Okay, yeah, yeah. so that's the one that I was talking about. Yeah, on the Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's Rory McIlroy. He's a freaking mag- magician in general. So you know, I kind of you kind of expect him to be able to do things like that. At, at the same time, yeah, it's still unbelievable that you can do that. So yeah, yeah. I, I I watched a bunch of it. It wasn't Thursday. I didn't watch much of it because i was golfing and then you know driving back but i'm i still think it needs to be a playoff style and until then it just is just another week of golf yeah i would agree with that there isn't anything like outside of watching hatton's reaction because he played so poorly all weekend chasing his tail and getting told that he's currently on the inside but could be knocked out that was some funny content um just because you know how emotional hacking can be um outside of that it didn't really do anything for me as far as um, the fedex cup was concerned but you look at some of the other things that happened uh homa and burns setting course records on friday and saturday with 62s only to be outdone by the eventual champ in hovland shooting a 61 on sunday with a 28 on the backside. dude is dialed in right yeah. now and if I'm the Americans, I am not wanting to be the guy that's got to face him in the Ryder Cup singles. Yeah, I, watching him play that last round was like, every time he hit the ball, I thought it was going in the hole. It, it, the Daryl Hatton and the guy having to go tell him the situation while he's just absolutely fuming uh, was hilarious. But it, it's interesting. You got like, like Hatton ends up in at 28. Spieth gets in at 29. I didn't think he was going to get in. Straka yeah. did his best to throw it away, dropping from 24 to 30. Um, Kirk lost it on the weekend, but you know you've got you know Sahith Thagala went from 31st to 31st, and I, and I feel for him because I was really hoping he'd you know make that break and 
or get that break and, and get into the tour championship in his, you know, very young mm-hmm. career. But then everyone else that's in, you're like, yep, yeah, that makes sense. And I love how Connors went up to 19th. Still not a high enough jump for me. Like he's been playing such solid golf that especially the last few weeks that he like he should be higher than that in my mind. Well, I mean, the high the biggest jump of them all was Matt Fitzpatrick. He went from 40th to 10th. Yeah. That's called getting the job done. Yeah. And yeah, and Hovland putting himself in the second spot there um, going into the last event. Rob moving down three positions to fourth from being first almost all season and nobody being able to pass him. That's one guy who's kind of trending down for that European team. Mm-hmm. I think he can find his stuff because they got a three or four week window in between the end of the season and the Ryder Cup. So I think he's got some time to work on some things. But I think this week will be big for his confidence going into the Ryder Cup. Um, so he's got to find some of his stuff. And then um, Corey Connors, the funny part about that, I've been seeing PGA Tour with the, the U and the O switched on Twitter. He's been making these posts for Corey Connors to be making it on the American Ryder Cup team, <laughs> making uh, fake passports and uh, driver's license to get him on. That's amazing. Well, I think it, you know it's a good segue because I think there's one guy that's not currently – kind of listed on any of the lists for um, the American team. And yet he's in fifth in the FedEx Cup, and that's Lucas Glover. Yeah, so like we were talking about, I think we can make the transition over the Ryder Cup now. Um, American team is locked in for points. They got their six guys. The Europeans go until um, September 3rd, so we do have some time. We'll talk about the European team on an upcoming episode here after the points guys have been locked in, but it gives us 10 or so days to debate who the bottom six or the captain's picks are going to be for the American team. I'll just rattle off the six points guys. And then you give me your six fillers. I'll give you my six fillers and then we can break them down after that. So right now we got Scheffler in first, Wyndham Clark in second, Harmon in third, Cantlay in fourth, Homa sneaks in, ends up getting that fifth spot. Xander Schauffele stays in six. So those are the six locks. Now give me your six captain's picks. If you're Zach Johnson, where are you going? Um, Lucas Glover, uh, Jordan Spieth, Keegan, Ricky, Sam Burns. Brooks Kepka. And I say Brooks knowing that there's probably some live PGA spite going to happen there and he's probably going to get screwed out of it. But, you know, just looking at the points, mm-hmm. I mean, he's only 29 points behind Xander and he's 1,300 points ahead of Jordan Spieth for seventh versus eighth. Like, yeah. If you're going to do this based on the points and all that, like Kepka has got to be on that team. Yeah. From a pure meritocracy standpoint. Right. But there's going to, and he only, the crazy part is he does it in four tournaments right. this year, as opposed to everybody else on the list who played a full season right? with the added bonus of big dollar events in the last four events. Right. Okay. So before we break it down any further, I got 
Kepka, Spieth, Young, Morikawa, Burns, and Glover for my bottom six. Yep. And I don't think it's it's too far off. I just I think Ricky had that flash in the pan there through the summer, had a good stretch. His game was coming back, so I think people were getting real high on him. I think that has since subsided a little bit, and he's evened out, um, not seeing quite as many low rounds. We've talked about it a bit over the last couple of weeks, but there's really no flat sticks on this team. I think Glover can fill in for that. Spieth, you got to take. And then Brooks is just a no-brainer. Four events, he almost qualifies. So, like, this is a good way for somebody who is well-liked by most of the guys on that Ryder Cup team already to bring him back, to unify golf a little bit and show that they are going to try and choose the best Americans. I know everybody's talking about Bryson right now, and I think people are a little too high on Bryson after his 58. I don't think that that's been indicative of what he's done for the whole season. And he hasn't had the greatest finishes in um, any of the majors. Pat Reed would be another guy that I would put ahead of Bryson and a couple of the guys on this list. I just don't think that he's a good enough locker room guy and he's ostracized himself a little bit when it comes to PGA Tour and PGA of America. So I think he's not going to make it, but I think he's another guy who could fill in um, from a live standpoint. But this could be an opportunity to bring Brooks in, show that they are going to unify the game a little bit. Yeah, I think... Your goal as the captain is to put together the best team. Why wouldn't you want the best big game hunter out there? Yep. He's the guy who shows up in the big moments. And same thing kind of with Pat Reed. Um, Imagine him on the team taking away some of the pressures for the rest of the team from an individual standpoint because you got everybody following him, heckling him, getting after him. I know from a team perspective um getting guys to play with them could be a little bit tough but like one of the best putters on the planet when he's feeling it and when he's in pressure situations so yeah i don't know but yeah unfortunately i just don't see it rolling out like that Uh, any that you see on my list where you're like absolutely not because i see a couple that are different young morikawa no i I don't I don't hate those ones either. I mean, those were the two that I was struggling with not taking, you know, especially Morikawa, because he can actually putt a little bit. Um, But no, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the team is the way you laid it out versus the way I did. I think, you know, if we're talking about the flat stick, you got to have Keegan in there. Um, And he's been playing well all year. And, you know, he's a little bit more of the senior guy. So you need a couple of those, but yeah, I'm 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 with you on that one. I just I can't see I can't see Lucas Glover not being on the team. And I've referenced this in the past where this is what the Horschel rule was made for: a guy who has caught lightning in a bottle, which he has, still had a good finish last week, didn't piss away all the work he's done in the prior two three weeks, and if they don't pick them and they pick JT at all, yeah, whether or not um, Glover is the one who gets taken off, this whole thing just doesn't mean as much 
in my eyes. Like I get that you're looking at taking the best team, but you're really not picking the best team if you're picking JT the way that he's sitting right For now. For sure. I also thought about this one too. So Scotty's your leader, been just stroking the shit out of it from the tees and the fairways, but he can't do anything on the putting green this year missing a bunch of 10 footers. And that's actually what cost him this weekend. Missed a couple of 10 footers that were probably makeable. Um, if you're on the European side, are you almost licking your chops to be able to play him in the singles match, knowing that he has been struggling so much with the flat stick? Yeah, I think he there's, there's weakness in his armor right now. He's also the best player on in the world. So he's got time to figure out that flat stick. And if he even figures it out halfway, he's, you know, super dangerous. Mm-hmm. But in match play, I feel like it's one of those things. If you miss a couple of shorties, or if you have an opportunity to put some pressure on with a make from 10 feet and break the other guy's back and you don't take advantage of it, that's huge and it's kind of how Poulter lays it out like you're it's mental warfare for 18 holes and you're playing the man you aren't playing the score anymore so each hole you try and make it an individual battle in the bigger war Um, but I think some of that starts to wear on you especially when you're a guy like Scotty who has been striking the ball so well if you can't putt I think that starts to wear on you throughout um, your team matches as well as your singles matches. Yeah. And you got a little bit of self-doubt. So that it'll be interesting to see him and how he's able to come along with his putter over the next couple of weeks. So they put they should put a matchup. It should be him versus Fleetwood. And we can just watch them both miss 10-footers all around. <laughs> I saw a post where it's like, uh, Fleetwood's just addicted to pars right now. And to your point, just missing, missing too many putts. And it goes back to our equipment talk. Um, those lab putters, maybe those two guys should be looking at a change in equipment. I know, um, Scotty changed to a TaylorMade last week. He did see some improvements over his Scotty, which I think is the most overrated putter in golf. Um, I think it's a status symbol more than it is a good piece of equipment. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, why wouldn't you continue to use the ever-evolving technology to your favor versus uh, yeah, arguably, you know, ping-designed putter that Scotty went and, you know, put his own twist on it you know, from the 19-whatever-it-is, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. Know? I, I tried to putt with a blade like that. I tried a Scotty. I tried to do it and doesn't feel as good. Doesn't roll as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure why guys stick to that unless that's just what they're used to. And that's what they're used to seeing. And they like the sound and they like the way it feels. And you know, then I get it. But if you're struggling with your putting, why wouldn't you try out something new? Yeah. When you have all the brands at your disposal. Right. At a moment's notice, um, one of the reps are going to walk over to you, hand you a putter, and you can dick around with it and even take it out for a few rounds. To your point, why wouldn't you? And 
there's too many good options. Like you got the two lawns, like we've been talking about lap putters from a more niche market, like tons of options there where the tech is far superior on them. Um, yeah, I just, I've never gotten the Scotty thing. Like I said, I think it's more of a status symbol, something that guys try to strive to get in their golf bags and then they get it and they realize that it doesn't do anything for their golf well, just game. The blade, so they got like, the five other putters. Yeah, I mean, but you, there's so many, even if you're a Scotty guy and you want a Scotty, like there's other shapes and other materials and, you know, configurations in that, that, you know, in my opinion, feel better or putt better or swing better. And if it's not working, try something new. Yeah. Like we've been talking about, you got to try and find every edge available in the game of golf. And one of the only things that you have at your disposal outside of changing your swing is the tech and the equipment. So, so who are your, uh, anything else you got to add this week? Well, who are your, European team guys. Well, we'll talk about that in the coming weeks because I think we got time to break that down and we don't know who definitively is going to be on the team. Um, As of right now, I think I'm going to echo the sentiments that you had in Sepp Straka. He's had a good back half of the year, wins a tournament, finishes second, has a good showing at the open, continues some pretty solid play down the line. So I like him. Rosie's put together a good close to the year. Um, he like you said he was in full grind mode on the weekend um trying to think of who else is out there but yeah i think it is going to be kind of status quo lowry's going to be another one of those guys the last two um they're going to get one of the european um qualifiers that'll be i i don't know who that's going to be yet so that one's going to lock up one of those spots and then i think aberg if I'm looking at the team, he's got to be on the team because you want one of those young guys to groom him for future Ryder Cups. Yeah, I mean, I know Fleetwood's pretty much a lock, but if I was Zach or uh, Luke Donald, I would be having a conversation about his putter. I love Fleetwood, and I know I've been ripping on him the last two pods, but I love Fleetwood. I love his game. I just, if we need, let's get a new putter. Come on, figure it out. You could take the world by storm if you could putt. The funny part is like you look at these guys and how great a ball striker they can be. And it's almost like a basketball player who can't shoot free throws. You're like, just practice more free throws. And then the rest of their game kind of deteriorates a little bit. I, I think with golf even more so because they are such great ball strikers. It's like we are putting in the time on the putting green. It's just not turning into positive results on the back end and whether that's mentally or because of the equipment, who knows? I know the equipment can make it easier to mentally get over some of those hurdles. Like I look down at my putter. Yeah. And I look down at my putter and to your point, I got a blade, I got a Toulon Madison putter, which when it's working, I love it. And I look down at it and I feel super confident with my stroke. I don't play enough to always look down at it and be super confident. But I think that would happen with any putter that I have. Um, I wonder if like a lab putter kind of takes some of that mental aspect away where you know it's going to square itself up every time. Oh, here's another question. We're talking about putters. We're talking about equipment. Um, I was looking at Hovland. And I was watching his highlights and they had a straight on angle of him putting. Um, 
and his putter is already forward pressed, similar to a Matt Kuchar. I was thinking about it, it kind of takes away some of that variance because a lot of us do do the forward press in our putting stroke. And for me, I find a lot of my misses come because I don't press it enough. I press it too much. I press it with an open face. Sometimes I do it a little bit more square. Um, And then I was also thinking he didn't really have an anchor quite as much as Kuchar, but everybody complains about the chest putters and how you can't anchor that. Is there any difference with anchoring it to your arm as opposed to to your chest? I don't see any difference. I think it's still anchoring. Yeah, I think it's if you're anchoring to your chest, it's something like the three points, whereas if it's like up your arm, it's a continuation of the one point. But I think realistically, it's the exact same thing. And Yeah, it's taken away one of the variables. Yeah. I think they should just let them go back to chest putting if they want or belly putting and it's funny when somebody becomes too good at something or it improves their game too much. They're like, whoa, we got to put an end to this. I think it was Sam Sneed used to um, polo putt. So he'd stand over and have the ball in the middle of his stance and croquet, crochet okay, it or yeah. croquet it. Um, yeah. And they put an end to that because he was too good at it. Right. So, I just, so, so the moral of the story is, Scotty, whatever you choose, don't get too good at it because then nobody's going to be able to catch up to you and uh, they're going to ban it anyways. Yeah. I think the moral of the putting story is if you find a putter that you like and it works, don't ever change it. It's like a three wood. Yes. Did you get rid of that one? The totally stripped down one? The three wood? Yeah. No, I still have it. It's called yeah. Sputnik, and it just it's retired and just sits in the bag in the office. Graphaloid blue, paint removed from... Just to let all your other woods know that they can be replaced at a moment's notice. Yep. It was put out to pasture, not because it wasn't working, just because it had done its job and it was time for it to be retired. All right, I think that's about all I got for this week. Anything more from you? Yep. I'm going to go play Mickelson National tomorrow morning. Let you know how I how I feel about it. And we can have a little discussion since you played it a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I'll be interesting, interested to compare notes because your short game has been much tighter than mine has. Um, and that's one of the things that you're going to need around that course. If you are not hitting greens. Good, so that's all that's working best of luck. Right Miss nine greens on the backside and shoot even par. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> all right, man, have fun. I'll see you in a few days when I'm Okay. Back. Yeah, enjoy. Later. Okay, later.